Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is John Hewitt. He's the founder and CEO of Liberty Tax Service and Siempra Tax Plus. John's the founder of three top tax preparation firms, and he's a former H&R Block regional director. And if I remember reading correctly, he was the youngest at the time. Liberty Tax has ranked in the top 30 franchises on Entrepreneur's Franchise 500 list for more than a decade. And Accounting Today magazine has named John one of the accounting profession's top 100 most influential people 11 times. And the International Franchise Association honored him as its Entrepreneur of the Year in February 2006. In 2015, John was named winner of Finance Monthly CEO Awards. He's also co-founded Stop Hunger Now and Run for Food International. He's featured on many international media platforms and he has a weekly column on Inc.com. Today, John's here to talk with us about his recent book called I Compete, How My Extraordinary Strategy for Winning Can Become Yours. Welcome to the show today, John. Thank you, Kelly. Glad to be here. Let's talk about the book a little bit here. Basically, that book is a book where you share lessons from the way uh, your life lessons, life experienced, ended up helping you basically revolutionize the tax preparation industry. Uh, Why did you decide to write a book about that? Well, I have, uh, I think at my age, and uh, you went through a lot of accolades I've gotten. I've, uh, yes. I guess you have to be old to get all those <laughs> accolades. But at, at my age, uh, I, I feel like uh, giving back. And I think one of the, the uh, there's several ways that I'm different from normal people. I think one of the biggest insults you could ever say to me is you were typical, you're normal, you're average, you're... So I'm, I think I'm unique, and uh, uh, I think that one of the strange things about me is I feel compelled to change people's lives for the better. And so this book is an effort to tell the trials and tribulations that we went through and the successes that we had, uh, because it's not easy. No one gets to skate through life. You always have your difficulties, and uh, it's, it's just a lesson in business so others can learn and um, have better lives, more productive lives. Very good. Why did you name the book I Compete? You know, we got lucky with that one. The, uh, <laughs> first of all, we had 100 names, and, and we were deciding on uh, one of these 100 names, and we finally came up with another name, and I don't even remember what it was. And I sent it to my younger sister, who who's an attorney, and uh, she's on my board of directors. I said I sent her a copy of the name, and she said, well, what about this? And the little I Compete, and, and really that's the the that's the thing that drives me. I mean, most people, human beings, get complacent once they're they're successful. They tend to get complacent once they have the house they want and the car they want and the education for their children they want. They tend to take it easy and retire. But I'm in a, But I'm driven. I'm driven to compete, and I think compete is the the single most descriptive uh, word that describes me. One of the major themes in your book, I Compete, is that mistakes are a wise person's education. Why do you say that? 
you know, I didn't invent that one. Uh, they, they say that uh, smart people learn from their own mistakes, and, and frankly, I don't know that many smart people. There's only a few percentage of people I consider smart, uh, less than, certainly less than 10%. But um, in a franchise system, in um, the franchisor is required to give you the the best uh, the best practices, whether it's a Century 21 and McDonald's or a Liberty Tax, our job as a franchisor is to give you best practices. And I brought in over 5,000 people in my career, 5,000 franchisees. And Kelly, not, a, not one of them out of the 5,000 began following our best practices from day one. Human beings are hard-headed. If you, if you think of the oldest story where someone didn't listen, Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. and God told Adam, don't go over that tree of knowledge of good and evil and eat the fruit. And he turned his back for a nanosecond and they ate the fruit. Um, if you're not going to listen to God, you're not going to listen to anyone. You're not gonna, certainly not going to listen to John Hewitt. So it's the toughest thing to do is get people to listen. And that's hard. It's, it's even smart people are only listen to their or only learn from their own mistakes. We're asking to be above that, to to learn from our mistakes. I've I've been in this industry for forty seven years. I haven't whatever mistake I haven't experienced and and made. I've certainly seen. So our job is to tell you what to do, the few right things to do, and avoid all those incorrect things. Yeah, you know, that really is a head scratcher because one of the reasons that people buy into a franchise system is because there is a system and there's somebody there who's experienced what works and what doesn't work. And yet you say, you know, from day one, you've never had anybody from day one uh, just buy into those best practices and, and start putting them to work. They have to learn on their own that you, you need to do this. So that is a head scratcher. Well, it's it's sort of like raising children. True. You know, when when we've all been children, and how many times does a child fall down before he learns finishes learning to walk, or make a mistake, or eat dirt? I think I read recently that <laughs> that the average child eats a, a bushel of dirt by the time they're twelve years old or something. Jeez. I mean, they're they're always grabbing things. In the, I mean, little children, and and that's how franchises are. We we all continue to make the human fallacy of thinking that we know better and we know best. You know, in the book, you also talk about monitoring results and not activities. What do you mean by that? Yes, that's one of our principles. And and I think um, too many people... um, Look at look at what you're supposed to do, and the, the way I think of that is pretend there's four different second basemen in the major leagues, and one gets 30 hits per 100 times at bat, and one gets 28 hits per 100 times at bat, another gets 26 per 100 times at bat, another gets 24. Well, they're all going to the same number of hours of practices. They all do the same workouts. But one guy gets 30 hits, and he's um, he's a Hall of Famer. He's making 15 million dollars a year. The guy that gets 28 hits, he's a he's above average, and he makes five million dollars a year. The guy that gets 26 hits is is average, and he makes two million a year. And the guy that gets 24 hits is fired, and they're looking for someone right. who can get 26 or 28 or 30. It doesn't matter how many hours you practice. It doesn't matter how many hours you watch films. It doesn't matter how how many hours you run. What matters is the results you achieve. 
Yes. And why is it, though, that some people, no matter how many hours they train or, you know, how many hours they spend in front of the video or whatever it is practicing, uh, that the activities are the same. What sets the people who are getting the 30 out of the 100 hits apart then from the people who are getting 24 hits? Well, well, some of it is, is blessings for, for um, extra skill that others don't have. And I think more of it, or, or some of it is, is in most of us, it's a preparation. It's not in the what you did today. It's what you did since you were 10 years old mm. and the tens of thousands of hours of working up to this position, right? The things that you did right when you were 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and 15 and 17 and 19 and the the tens of thousands of hours of practice. And, you know, Vince Lombardi, I think, said um, that, that uh, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. But really what he said is, uh, getting ready to win, practicing isn't everything. It's the only thing. It's really the preparation that is the key. And the, it's too late. You know, it's too late in your when you're 27 years old to change very much. You've had to done that when you were 16, 17, 18, done the right things. So it's really the preparation that separates the winners from the losers. And a good part of that is mental preparation, too. There's a mindset component of this that plays a big role, too. Yes, you have to, and, and mindset isn't, I mean, you have to have confidence. There, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've been accused of being uh, overly cocky. I think my competitors say, what's, they have a joke about me, what's the difference between God and John Hewitt? Well, <laughs> God doesn't think he's John Hewitt. And the, uh, that's, uh, so I can come across as cocky, or, and, but I don't think you can achieve great things unless you're self-confident, unless you have a confidence. If you can't see a vision of a brighter future, how are you going to get to a brighter future? So I, so I think it's a requirement of, of success is that you have a, a uh, inner confidence, and that, that precedes your success. Liberty has raving fans. There's no question about that. It's a very well-known brand. How have you been able to create, not just create, but sustain over the years the raving fans that you have? You know, it's um, uh, one of our principles is give loyalty and, and get loyalty. And the you don't, you don't uh, when you meet someone or you have a relationship with someone, whether they're a investor or a vendor or an employee or a partner, um, you don't just get respect automatically. You don't get loyalty automatically. You have to earn it. And you earn it by by proving it. And as you prove it, then you earn respect. And as you give loyalty, that's the only way to get loyalty. You're not going to get someone that's loyal to you until you're loyal to them. you you got to be lead by example. And so um, practice practice makes perfect you have to set the example you have to to earn it and you have to to give loyalty to your people Absolutely. And that's true of customers as well as employees. We're talking here today with John Hewitt. He is the founder of Liberty Tax Service. And he's talking with us today about his book, I Compete, How My Extraordinary Strategy for Winning Can Become Yours. And John, what I'd like to talk about now is a little bit about your background and how you got started in the tax preparation business. Sure. That was uh, that was a, a major event in my life, a life changer when I was 
Well, I was in uh, college. I was attending University of Buffalo, and my dad was a frustrated entrepreneur. He had he had five children very quickly. I was born when he was a sophomore at Michigan State, and and then he had uh, two other children before he even graduated. So he never got to be an entrepreneur. He had to have a job, and he became a CFO of a public company. And he decided when I was old enough, we were gonna we were gonna I was gonna help him. And so I was in school to be a mathematician because, like most kids. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be really when I grew up, and so uh, I was good at mathematics. So I was in school to be a mathematician, and and he called H and R Block and said uh, we we would like to buy a franchise in our suburb of Buffalo where I grew up. And they said, well, we don't we don't uh, uh, sell franchises in this area. We're going to put a com- but we're going to put a company store there. Uh, would you like to have your son take our course and maybe he could work for us? And and so I did, and I loved it. It was. It was the most interesting course I'd ever ever uh, taken, and I started right in working working evenings and weekends while I was going to school. And in my second uh, season, my manager went into the hospital in in right during peak season in in first of February, and uh, they asked me if I would leave college and run those those uh, ten stores, and I did, and I loved that, and. Ten years later, as you mentioned earlier, I was the youngest regional director in the the country, managing 250 stores. And my dad interceded again. He was uh, he was one of the first people to buy an Apple computer, hmm. and he liked his little, little Apple computer more than the mainframe that was running his public company. And he said, "John, let's let's computerize taxes." And I said, Dad, the the computer can't even beat me at chess. How am I going to put <laughs> all of this complicated tax code onto this little machine? He said, Well, I'm going to do it. So he left his job as a as a CFO of a public company and started writing code for a little Apple computer. And a few months later, I joined him. And in 1981, we built the first tax software ever for an Apple computer. Wow, incredible. What is it about, you said you were studying to be a mathematician, so, uh, you know, numbers is part of uh, a common thread here. What is it about taxes and numbers that appealed to you, though? Well, the uh, tax preparation appealed to me in three ways. Back, um, most people on this call, I'm sure, aren't old enough to remember a world without computers, let alone a world without calculators. When I started doing taxes in 1969, they didn't have calculators, affordable calculators, so we were using Data machines that um, very antiquated, and and I can multiply and divide and add faster in my head than than people could using an data machine. And so, I, so one of the things that appealed to me was it was mathematical, and I loved that, and I was great at that. And secondly, it appealed to me is the gray areas of tax is everything has an exception, and there's just so so you can help people and. People, I think, when they see a tax preparer, they think about seeing a tax preparer. It's sort of like it's second worst to seeing a dentist. <laughs> and so people come in with trepidation and fear, and and they're not looking forward to – they're looking forward, if they're getting a refund, to finding out what that refund is. But they're not looking forward to the process. You know, when I might root canal, I'm looking forward to getting rid of the pain and mm-hmm. the infection. But I'm not looking forward to going through that process. And, and so – um, making it a pleasant experience, digging for deductions, get, making sure people got uh, saving money for people, and and doing it in a way that that made them uh, made them comfortable. So I, I was helping people, 
I was uh, I was good at math, and I got to and I got to um, know taxes, the gray areas, and and uh, um, that the law is is was another appeal. So those three things were were all compelling for me. That that I was blessed. One of my many blessings is I found out at 20 years old what I want to do with the rest of my life. You know, yes. I did three interviews yesterday, and I asked three people, and they were aged from. 32 to, to 52, and what do you want to be when you grow up? And not one of them knew. Yeah, even the one in their 50s, I hear you. Talk to us about your giving back initiatives. Uh, what has compelled you to start the two organizations that I mentioned earlier? I think I've always, uh, I know I've always been a giving person, and, and, you know, life is full of givers and takers, and I'm a giver. And and also I'm, I'm a someone who... Uh, unusual uh, gratefulness for what I've been given in life, and and what I realized a long time ago is God didn't put us here just to, just to get rich and revel in my riches and go away. Um, he he uh, required us to give back. So those of us that are blessed and have extreme success are supposed to give back. And what we teach at Liberty Tax is that you're supposed to give back. And in my personal calling is to in world hunger and we don't we don't require our franchisees to contribute to world hunger because there are there are great other great uh causes there's cancer and heart fund and diabetes and et cetera et cetera there's all kinds of great causes and you should feel you should feel that you should give back to whatever whatever you feel called to do well i felt called to to save lives you know sitting listening in church to to um, the minister saying 75,000 people are dying every day from starvation. And that just, you know, that just tweaked my heart. And so we started 30 years ago um, uh, looking to solve world hunger. And uh, so I couldn't find an organization that wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I felt called just to save lives. There are there are other organizations that all the organizations I found not only fed people but they either proselytized to mm-hmm. to them they mm-hmm. taught them about God or they and or they taught them how to be self sufficient mm-hmm. which after after they their hunger ended well those are important those are important things but I felt called to save lives meantime you're teaching them how to get to manufacture or, or uh, to to farm or or fish or or to take care of yourself after that's important but that's not what i felt compelled to do so i couldn't find an organization that wanted to just focus on saving lives and then turn turn the people over to those that are saved to others that wanted to evangelize or or teach them teach them how to go on and so i was helping a organization um, a, a, a United States organization that just helped in the United States, and every once in a while, they would get. It's called Society for Saint Andrew. They they exist today. They're a great organization, and they they help they help stop malnutrition in the United States. But I felt compelled to save lives, and so that we formed a relationship where every once in a while uh, they would get a request over from overseas, and they didn't do anything overseas, so they'd give it to me, and I would usually fund it some something in Africa or Asia or South America where I would do it. And so I had a foundation called the Hewitt Foundation. Well, about five, after doing that for five years, one of the two founders of 
Society of St. Andrew came to me and said, you know, I just, he said, woe is me. He said, I'm, I'm just so sad. I went to Africa for two, two weeks. I saw people starving and I'm, I just got to do something different. And I said, well, Ray, if you could do anything you wanted, what would you do? And he said, well, I'd go over to, I'd go over to areas where people were, I'd look for, for troubled areas where people were, were starving and I would come back and within two weeks I'd be sending food. I said, Ray, my dream's almost the same, except for you'd have a phone and um, when you saw the situation, you would call in for help right away. And so he left Society for St. Andrew, Ray Buchanan, and he did all the work, and I funded everything because I'm a bleeding heart. I can't go to these areas. I would stay there. Mm-hmm. So um, he he um, built an organization today. I funded it for the first couple of years. Now it's it's got thousands, tens of thousands of donors, 110 employees, and uh, Stop Hunger now has has uh, given over 300 million meals in the last uh, in the last 18 years. Yeah, great, great cause there. And we'll talk about how any of our listeners can get involved in just a minute. But before I let you go, I want to make sure to ask you this. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs for persevering through adversity? If you had to tell them one thing, what would it be? You know, that the only thing I can say is it's the toughest thing and, and it's the most important thing. Uh, to Success in anything uh, doesn't doesn't depend on how smart you are or how how um, educated you are or how knowledgeable you are. The only requirement to massive success is perseverance. Everyone gets knocked down. Winners get up and keep going. And and the the uh, the secret to to success, the one secret, isn't that you're a good person or a smart person or. Uh, a hardworking person. The secret is is perseverance, and so um, that that is key to winning and losing. And and uh, I can't. It's it's not an easy thing. It's it's one of the most difficult things to do is to get up and keep going. But it's essential for winning. So true, and I don't think there's any entrepreneurs who have been successful who would disagree with that. If you would like, or if anyone who's listening today would like to get a copy of your book, or if they'd like to get involved with Stop Hunger Now or contribute to it, how would they do that? You know, the easiest thing to do is uh, most of them have a website and uh, go on Stop Hunger Now website or uh, Liberty Tax service website. And all the information to get involved is is right there in front of you. Okay. And I'm sure you can Google those and get right to them. And your book, Amazon.com, is that the best way to get a hold of yes. it? And sure, it's, at, it's in uh, bookstores and it's on Amazon. Yes, both are easy to get. John, thank you so much for your time today, sharing your life experiences and passing on your words of wisdom here to help other entrepreneurs. We really enjoyed having you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at IThinkBigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at IThinkBigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.